This episode of the School of Golf Architecture is brought to you by our friends over at B. Dratty. So just like the best golf architects, B. Dratty is all about the details, details that most companies choose to overlook. Take the Russell Quarter Zip, which is my go-to for this time of year. The front pouch is sewn into the garment, not just sort of put on top, and that allows for a slimmer, less bulky fit. If you're a fan of great golf courses, I think you'll appreciate B. Dratty's devotion to smart design and how they really think through every aspect of their product. Shop the entire B. Dratty line at bdratty.com and receive 25% off with our exclusive discount code TFE25. That's bdratty.com, code TFE25. The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing. Playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a, a fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. Not to be feared, though, it's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. Welcome back to the School of Golf Architecture on the Fried Egg Podcast, and to the second part of my discussion with architect Jeff Mingay about golf course routing. I'm Garrett Morrison. Now, I'd recommend that you go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. That episode lays a lot of groundwork for what we discuss in this one. But just to recap, we defined routing as the way in which architects lay out golf holes on the land, or in other words, the positions they choose for each tee and each green. Jeff and I identified three main aspects of a routing that any golfer can see and understand while playing around. One, whether the walks between greens and tees make sense. Two, whether the holes use the best pre-existing features of the property. And three, whether the routing has a sense of drama from beginning to middle to end. In this episode, Jeff and I apply these criteria to a few different well-known routings. This is, first of all, a way of demonstrating how you can read the routing of any given golf course, but it's also an opportunity to explore the evolution of routing through history. How have methods of routing golf courses changed over time? And does the future hold any new possibilities? Starting with the old course, we've talked about some of the inherent flaws of the out-and-back routing in the sense that it doesn't provide much variety in the relationship of the holes to the wind. But what do you think are some of the merits of the out-and-back routing? You know, just what, what do you what do you think of that as an as an example of how to route a golf course? Well, it's a bit of a coincidence that we can criticize uh, the out-and-back routing of the old course, mostly because of the lack of variety in terms of how, how the course tacks into the wind and away from the wind. But I'll tell you what, the best thing about that out and back routing is that it allows the golf course to pretty easily be played reversible, which is something that I can't believe hasn't gotten more traction in the last hundred years of, of golf architecture. You know, we, we, I mean, the benefits of, of having one golf course that can play two ways are pretty obvious, right? Huge benefits to the ownership. They get to basically get two courses for the price of one. They also get two courses that can be maintained for the price of one. 
and the environmental benefits that come along with that as well. You know, you got 36 holes that are basically being maintained as 18. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful concept that again, I mean, there's a few golf courses have been the loop. I think Frank Pont's done a, at least one or two in, in, in Europe. It just, the concept makes so much sense yet. It's been done so few times to this point. It's, it's, it's puzzling to me. I mean, it takes a client that understands the concept. It takes the correct piece of ground too. You know, you're on a piece of ground that's hilly. It's going to be pretty difficult to find find a way to to get it to play in reverse. You know, comparatively, when you look at a piece of ground like St Andrews, it's 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 basically flat and rumpled. Um, although um, I hear Sylvie's Ranch works pretty good, and there's some pretty hilly hilly spots there. Um, you were just there, were you? Yeah, I was just there. Yeah. And and I'd love to talk about that one later as an example of uh, along alongside the loop as an example of what might be next in routing. But but Sylvie's Valley Ranch certainly has a very clever approach to the reversible routing uh, in that it has 27 greens. Right. Um, and, and not all the greens are in play every day, but it makes the routing work on a very hilly piece of property, I heard that. Um, which is which is quite an accomplishment. Um, and, you know, one, one of the things that makes the reversible routing at, at the old course work is that you know, it's a rumpled piece of land, but it's not a hilly piece of land, right? You're not, you're not, you don't have to go back up a big hill that you've gone down the day before. Now, okay, so there's this wacky theory I have about about the old course routing as it relates to what we were discussing um, in the uh, you know the storytelling or the drama aspects of routing a golf course. You know, to me, that old course routing is very elemental and, and primal in a way. You start from the town, basically, and you can just imagine the, the initial golfers there saying, okay, we start here because this is where we are. This is where the town is. And we're, we're going to head just straight out to, uh, um, to the uh, River Eden. You know, that's where we're, that's where we're going to head out to. We're going to go out there. And then once we get there, we're going to kind of hang out there for a second. Right. That's the shepherd's crook part of the routing. We're going to hang out in this nice little gathering spot because this seems like a nice place to be. We've gotten here. We want to spend a little bit of time here and then we're going to go back. We're going to return home. There is a natural sense of drama to me about that routing. That's basically the plot of The Hobbit. Right. Uh, <laughs> there and back again. And and so I, w- I wonder if it feels that way to you when when you're playing the old course that there's a there's a sense that you're taking a journey out to something, staying there for a bit, and then coming back. Yeah, that's a, I'm not sure I've heard it described exactly that way, but I I, I agree and I, and I love that description. I also believe that that's got to be true, right? That the other thing that is that piece of Lynx land, you know, is a is a thin strip that just as you just described, took off from town, stopped at the river and came back. And it'd be interesting. I mean, this is completely impossible, but it'd certainly be interesting to go back in time and see who decided to put the quote unquote greens where they went and where they are today, right? Somebody had to go out there and say, well, this is a reasonably flat spot here where we can cut the hole in in the ground and putt. So my suspicion, and I should go back and read Scott McPherson's uh, book on the, on the evolution of the old course to see if this is right or wrong, but 22 holes existed at the old course way back when it first started. Somebody had to have gone out there and picked those you know, 11 sites or whatever it was where they were going to try to get to. 
you know, to, to, to finally arrive at those 22 holes that got you from town out to the river and back. That's golf architecture, routing. And, and you have to think that it was by committee and that it was gradual, you know, <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that's maybe the best way to do it. Uh, you know, they've, they've played over that little piece of land a, a bunch of times and eventually figured out where the best places were to cut the holes. Yeah. I mean, I either haven't thought about it this way or haven't thought about it this way in a long time, but essentially the evolution of the old course definitely involved picking those sites that were the best green sites, which is, which is what golf architecture still begins with. When you get out on a raw piece of ground, I mean, the first thing we do as designers is start to look at where the, where's the best places to put the greens. And the questions are, which are the most beautiful sites which sites will allow you to connect them in a way that you're going to end up with the best variety of holes, both looks, distances, everything that lends to variety. But most of all, you're looking for places where you're going to relatively easily build a green. You know, you don't want to build a green on a, on a hill, on a hill site that's 45 degrees slope. It's just hard to build a green there. And, and it takes a lot of fill and it's, it's more expensive. So again, looking for those sites that are naturally greens or require comparatively minimal work to create a green is what we're looking for. And, and getting back to the old course, I'm sure that hundreds of years ago, that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, they didn't have much equipment out there to manipulate things. So they were looking at spots that literally made sense to be a putting green. So now let's go to the next stage of the evolution of routing a golf course, which I think is represented well by Muirfield, which feels a lot more intentional in the way that it's routed as opposed to kind of natural and by committee. Uh, it, it feels like the routing at Muirfield was very expertly done. Um, so could you talk about the Muirfield routing a little bit and what makes it so kind of historically important, especially as compared to the out and back routings that we've been talking about? Yeah, when Harry Gold showed up at Muirfield, there was a pretty rudimentary, I guess you'd say in comparison, a rudimentary old Tom Morris course there. And um, like St. Andrews and, and, and a number of the early links, it, it had more of an out and back, um, not, a, not a very as varied a routing as you see at Muirfield today. And that's what the lesson that, that Muirfield taught in the early days of, of routing golf courses is, is how to lay out holes, again, with, with that wind consideration in mind. Where's the prevailing wind? You know, what does it do a majority of the time? And how can we get these holes to confront that wind at varying angles, hole after hole after hole? Um, the only two holes in Muirfield uh, that run consecutive in the same direction on the compass are four and five. Otherwise, you play each hole with the wind coming at you from a different angle. And, um, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion about that routing in golf architecture circles uh, for that reason. And uh, when, where and when it's possible, um, you know, a good routing is going to turn you in a different direction um, from hole to hole to hole. So just to be clear about what the Muirfield routing is, for those who are unfamiliar with it, the front nine goes around the perimeter of the property and the back nine basically is set within the front nine. And so you've got these these kind of 
you know, almost concentric circles, though, of course, the, the holes, especially on the back nine, often reverse in order to fit in. But you can imagine it as as kind of, you know, outer and inner routing. And, you know, we've seen architects basically adapt that routing to a number of different sites. I know that Ross did it a lot and, and Tillinghast especially did it quite frequently. And and it's and it's very clever because you've got those returning nines and you and you've got the different relationships to the wind and you're constantly kind of revisiting sections of the property that you've seen before, but you're you're coming at them from a different direction. How much better can routing get from there, honestly? <laughs> No, that's still, you know, that still ranks up there as one one of the uh, ones you're trying to be inspired by for sure. So let's talk a little bit about Cypress Point. Um, what uh, a lot of people are familiar with the basics of that routing, um, but what makes it special and and how does it kind of fit into some of the principles of of routing that we've been talking about? Well, I think the biggest thing with Cypress Point is I, I really believe that that Alistair McKenzie was was truly trying to celebrate that really one of a kind site. You know, you're dealing with dunes, a beautiful cypress forest, coastal bluffs. Um, he does a wonderful job starting the golf course in the dunes, taking you into the forest, leaving the forest, back into the dunes. One more trip to the forest, back into the dunes, and then eventually coming down 13 and 14, you see the Pacific Ocean. It's getting closer and closer. And then another one of those wonderful little walks in golf. You know, we talk about connectivity on golf courses. You wouldn't say that 14 green and 15 T are very well connected. You get a long walk, you get across what might be one of the most, you know, the busiest roads in, in America these days. But the walk, uh, once you get across the road onto the, onto the ocean side, um, the little trail that takes you over to 15 T and you turn the corner and see that hole for the first time. It's one of the most exhilarating experiences. And I'm sure that trail was cut purposefully to wait for that reveal, you know, as long as they could for you to turn the corner and get on 15T. Um, and then finally, playing, playing the coastal holes at Cyprus as the big conclusion. I'm not sure it gets much better. And people, people complain about the 18th hole, you know. I was reading about that the other day. Again, I came across it that someone had said that Cypress Point's the best 17-hole course in the world because 18 turns you around from the ocean and takes you through the trees again back up to the clubhouse. I don't agree with that. I think 18 is actually one of the most unique golf holes you'll ever see in your entire life. Again, as part of celebrating that wonderful property, I think, I think the doctor wanted to take you through those beautiful cypress trees. I mean, these cypress trees at Cypress Point are some of the most beautiful natural things you'll see anywhere. And I think his 18th hole there celebrates that. Yeah, it definitely features those. I mean, there's so much to talk about here. For one thing, you know, I, I should mention that there is some doubt as to whether Seth Rayner or Alistair McKenzie is most responsible for the routing at Cypress Point. You know, obviously McKenzie is the architect of record, but um, there is an ongoing debate about who did the original routing and how much of that original routing um, made it into the to the final 
golf course. I, we don't need to get into that here. That's that's a topic for podcasts by our friends uh, over at the Society of Golf Historians. I, I think that's more a, more a subject for for Connor Lewis. But in any case, the the routing of of Cypress Point is so rich, and it represents all of the things we've been talking about. You know, you've already talked about the variety of landscapes at Cypress Point. You've got the woods, and you've got the dunes, and you've got the ocean, and it's hard to imagine a routing using those three places better or with more variety or you know more different parts of the round you've got the sense of drama like you talked about going out to the um, ocean at the end and and really coming to in a, a culmination there the great connectors between the uh, 14th green and the 15th tee and between the 15th green and the 16th tee longish walks but nobody would want those not to be there and then I think, you know, it's a it's a perfect story in many ways because the 18th hole, even though it's underrated, as you say, and it has many things to recommend it, there is a sense of kind of calming down from the 16th and 17th holes. And that's how a lot of stru- great stories are structured, where the climax isn't at the very end. The climax isn't the last paragraph. The climax comes a few pages earlier. And then there's what English teachers will call a denouement. There's a there's a calming down and a sense of resolution and a sense that, okay, now life is going on. And and I think that the 18th hole at Cypress Point delivers that. One thing we haven't talked about is the gathering points at Cypress Point, uh, which are some of the, I guess we touched on it briefly earlier, but some of the best anywhere, right? I mean, you know, the, there's a couple of really dramatic landforms at Cypress Point and a, a lot of holes. Oh yeah, you're showing me right now. I have, look, look at this. So what what we're what what we're what 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 Jeff and I are showing each other right now are our respective copies of the World Atlas of Golf, which we just happen to both have right next to us, and we've got the old green cover. We don't have that new abomination. We've got we've got the old edition of the World Atlas of Golf. So we both had that book next to us. It has a great map of Cypress Point, gathering points at, at Cypress Point, or congregation points, I think, is what you called them. Uh, tell me about some of those at, at Cypress Point and, ha- and how they work. Well, one of the really cool spots at, at Cypress, and it's a really great example of, um, you know, using a, a single natural feature to work holes off of and into, is a big dune line that bisects the property where three green, 12 T, or sorry, three green, four T, 11 green, 12 T, nine green, 10 T, six green and then one of the best part threes ever seven plays off of it and eight plays off of it so you're talking about i wish i had a measurement here but you're talking about a single dune ridge that cuts through the the property i guess it'd be over on the east side of the property you know far away from the ocean but to work what one two three four five six seven eight nine holes off of a single dune ridge you know and again most people who play cypress point they're enjoying the holes they're not thinking about the fact that mckenzie used that one ridge to work that much of the golf course off of and onto in such a dramatic fashion and all of those holes are they couldn't be more different and they all use that single natural feature as 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 the main feature of the hole pretty incredible it's genius and and it works practically too 
right? You're not uh, at no point, you know, when you when you jam that many holes around one feature, often you create safety problems, you create routing problems where you're, you know, where there might be weird walks or connectivity issues. But there's none of that in these holes. Somehow they all work, even though they're all congregated around this one place. Yeah, it, it's it's incredible. And another great example of that, what did we determine? Congregational routing. So, you know, there's so many other routings that that we could talk about. You know, so far we, we've talked about the old course, Mirfield, Cypress Point. These are really well-known ones. One that I think people aren't as familiar with, but you are, and that I'm not familiar with because I have not been to this course, but uh, Highlands Links. And, and, and to me, that, that's a, a fascinating sounding routing. Um, you've, you've touched on a few aspects of it already, but um, could you tell me about that one and, and what you think makes it distinctive? Yeah, what makes Highlands Links most distinctive, again, similar to Cypress Point, is that, is that um, the golf course traverses three or four very distinctive environments. And it's actually an out and back routing. You know, one leaves the little pro shop, plays down the peninsula, starts out at the ocean, takes you to the forest. And by the time you get to nine green, you know, you're 10 kilometers from where you began. The 10th is still out in the, in the river valley. 13 takes you back to the ocean. Again, just traversing beautifully distinctive landscapes. But Stanley Thompson did the same thing that Alistair McKenzie did at Cypress Point too. Sure, he was celebrating these these distinct environments and these these beautiful properties, but he didn't forget about the golf either. And Highlands Links, like Cypress Point, is 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 relentless in terms of the quality of the holes from from the first tee uh, to the 18th green. Very distinctive in a in a uh, as beautiful as you can get in terms of a natural environment for golf. Um, and a very simplistic layout where he, he really, truly did utilize, you know, the, the inherent landscape uh, in the best way possible for golf, set you up um, to enjoy views of the ocean, enjoy views of distant mountains, to play down uh, the 15th hole with an old church in the foreground and the ocean beyond, you know, real heady stuff in terms of, again, focusing on building really, really good golf holes but then tying all that other stuff into it as well, you know, so that people can enjoy nature. And, um, and again, that involves some, some views that, that are directly attributable to the routing. Um, it involves walks like that, uh, that one between 12 and 13 along the Clyburn river. So again, finding, finding a variety of holes and making them interesting is one thing, but then to take it to that, to that next level with, uh, with uh, celebrating nature and, and creating a bigger experience than just, hitting the golf ball um, is what those guys were able to do so, so brilliantly at Highlands Lakes and Cypress Point. And I think it's interesting that it's an out and back routing, you know, because uh, there's, there's, I think a false sense out there that the out and back model is antiquated or that, that we moved beyond it. But Highlands Lakes does have roughly an out and back routing, but I'm wondering, I'm curious when you're playing that course, does it feel like it's an out and back routing? Or do you kind of lose sight of that as you're going along? That's a great question because you know what? I've played Highlands Links enough to confidently say that it does not feel like an out-and-back routing at all, at all. And I'm not sure I've, I've, I've ever thought about it that way. I mean, you know, I've studied the routing map so much and I've looked at aerials of the golf course. I could see it plain as day. But yeah, when I'm out on, on the golf course playing there, you feel like there's enough change in direction. You're getting 
a huge variety of views. So you don't actually, you know, at St. Andrews, especially when you're coming in, you kind of know you're coming in on a direct line because the town's there and you're getting closer and closer. You don't have any consistent views at Highlands Lakes because you're in valleys and then up and looking at the ocean and looking at mountains. And that detracts from the fact that it essentially is an outback routing. Stanley Thompson used a outback routing at Banff as well. Um, you know, in the old days at Banff Springs, they've changed the sequence of play, unfortunately, since Thompson's day. But in the old days, you teed off um, in the shadow of that, that beautiful old hotel and really played out through the river valley, turned around and came back. You know, at like St. Andrews, there's a couple little crooks here and there, but you're, you're effectively out back at Banff too, which is a great experience in terms of leaving the hotel and returning. I, I often wonder if, uh, you know, if I could ask Stanley Thompson, uh, if St. Andrews crossed his mind, I, I'd love to hear what his answer is. Because um, when I think of Banff, I, I always think of St. Andrews leaving town, leaving the hotel and coming back to town and coming back to the hotel. Yeah. And, and that, again, you know, I've said this before, but it but it strikes me again that 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 model of routing, you know, you can you can do it in different ways. Obviously, you can do it in ways that, uh, as we've been saying, don't feel necessarily like a repetitive out and back routing. But there is a natural sense of going on a journey, reaching a point and then returning home. And all of those things have an emotional pull. There's the mystery of the journey. There's the there's the yearning to get out to that point, that distant point. And then once you get out there, once you've spent your time there and seen what you need to see, then there's an equal emotional pull that's drawing you back home, right? Homeward bound. I think these are things that tug at us in a in a really primal way. And and these routings, when well done, can do that. I agree. And in St. Andrews and Banff or even the way I was just enthusiastically talking about both, it is an experience that does that you remember. I mean, it's, it's uh, you're never going to forget those two experiences for sure. For those, for that very reason. And it's again, directly attributable to the, to the routing. The other interesting thing about that journey at St. Andrews, which, which I, again, I think for sure, that's how, how golf developed there. You know, let's keep playing, playing, playing. We can't go any further. We got to go back is how many holes does it take to get out there and come back on the available piece of ground? You know, for, for guys like us who simply love to play golf, do I really care if I'm playing 15 holes to get out there and come back? They played 22 holes originally and went out and came back. Now it's 18. Another interesting question, you know, in terms of routing, what fits best, you know, on any particular piece of ground, there's, there's not always 18 holes. Sometimes there's more than 18 holes. But being able to go out there and find the best routing is, you know, the ultimate dream without having to worry about anything, really. Just go find the best holes. Here's how many holes we were able to fit on the available property. And let's play golf. I'd like to know how many holes Bryson DeChambeau would need to get out to the river at St. Andrews. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe three out and three back, something like that. <laughs> Not as many as me, I know that. <laughs> um, so the last thing I'd like to talk about, and this is less about a particular course or a specific example and more about kind of uh, what's next in routing or, or whether there are some unexplored 
uh, or less explored concepts in routing golf courses that we can begin to get into as golf architecture, I hope, continues to develop. And I'm thinking of The Loop, I'm thinking of Sylvie's Valley Ranch, I'm thinking of Uhupi Match Club, but there are probably a, a bunch of other examples. But I'm just, I'm just curious about what you think we as routers of golf courses, um, whether ar architects as routers of golf courses, what, what things they haven't explored enough, what habits we might need to break or, or re-examine, and, and how we can then break into new territory in routing. Um, wh what do you think is there? Well, I'll tell you what, I, when I heard that the loop was happening, that's about as, as excited Actually, you know, the other thing, the most excited I probably ever was is when High Point opened <laughs> when I was a kid after reading about what Tom was doing there, um, Tom Doak, of course. And uh, the next most exciting thing I think I heard was that Tom was doing a reversible course in Michigan. So I followed its development and I've played it now both ways and walked it. And I'll tell you what, it just strikes me, as I said earlier, that the concept of a reversible course or a course that functions multifacedly has, is that a word? Multi, multi, multifacetedly. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know, but, but a, co a course that functions in more ways than one, I guess is the way to, to, to describe it. I'm just shocked that that concept hasn't been pursued um, more diligently over the past even half century. You know, again, the benefits of, of having two courses in one, like the old course shows us, um, and now the, 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 the way, what the loop's doing, is um, there's so many benefits to it. And when you talk about Ohupi, it, similarly, it's not a reversible golf course, but they've got some extra holes there. So you can play alternate routings, um, alternate sequence of play, which reminds me of another great routing at uh, Los Angeles Country Club. The north course there that George Thomas laid out in the mid-20s he famously came up with a concept that he called uh, courses within a course. How do you build, or I should use, I should say route. How do you route a golf course, route 18 holes that could function in multiple ways, not just as a traditional 18 hole golf course. And again, I, I just think that golf has, has been lacking in terms of that type of creativity um, until recently, because it's so exciting to hear, you know, the loop's done. Um, you know, I've heard other guys, including Frank Pont uh, in Europe and, and uh, Dan Hickson out at Sylvie's Ranch. You know, let's figure out how these golf courses can be played in reverse, how we can set these holes up so that they're completely different from one day to the next. And um, I'll never forget what Tom Doak said. You know, he said, if we're going to build a re reversible golf course, it better be good both ways. You can't have one course, you know, be significantly better than the other course because then people would just come and play the good course <laughs> and not, not the other way. And sadly, I think that's what happened in the old course over the years. Not, not that the reverse course is necessarily any worse than the course we know, but after, after a number of British opens were played there and that much history was made there. If, you know, people from around the world are coming to St. Andrews to play, they want to play the open course. They want to see the, they don't want to be there the day that you can't play the road all the way that we know it and see it on television. Or the Eden Hole, <laughs> or you know, I mean, or the Fourteenth. There are, yeah, those, those holes have become utterly iconic. People would be enraged if they showed up and their one day there they didn't get to play those. Right. 
So if the black course at the loop had more iconic goals than the red course, the business model that, that they built it on wouldn't work as well. Yeah, you got to want to play them all. And, and here I, I, I want to shout out Dan Hickson, who I think might be the most underrated architect in the United States. Uh, you know, he's done most of his work in, in the Pacific Northwest. But Sylvie's Valley Ranch is a brilliant concept. It's a reversible routing, but it has 27 greens. And the, the ways that it's made to work on that hilly piece of property are, are so complex and varied. You know, and there's one section of the course where basically the fairways kind of form a series of triangles. You know, you play one hole and the next hole kind of goes off in the opposite direction, except at a kind of 45 degree angle. And and then the next hole does the same thing. So what you're left with, if you look at it from above, is a kind of zigzag. Mm. And you can play the zigzag in both directions. It really does work as a reversible routing. And, you know, I looked at it both ways and there are really good holes on both courses. There are really good arguments for playing one course over the other or really playing both courses. Uh, and it just works. And I think that, you know, one of the things that made that happen was not being too wedded to the idea that I've got to have a pure reversible course. There's got to be 18 greens just realizing that there are many ways to do it. There are so many ways to route a golf course. There are so many ways that you can configure holes on a golf course and make it do different things. And for whatever reason, we just haven't explored those. You know, the LACC, you know, Thomas's concepts there are fascinating. Have you seen that anywhere? And I just wonder why we aren't doing these things. It, does it have to do with rankings? Does it have to do with just golf's kind of tentativeness to, to try something new? You know, what, what is it that's holding us back here? I find in, this is more prevalent at private clubs, obviously, than, than resort courses and public courses. But I find that golfers are, are just married to their handicaps, it, which, which is something that has always just made me shake my head. I mean, I, I just want to play interesting golf. And there's always a way to rate a course you know, even if you even if you set it, even if you're able to set it up as varied as as LACC North, there's a way to rate a golf course on which a par three is a par four the next day. We just got to think outside of the box and be a little bit more innovative of, about how how we're doing things. But most golfers they want the tees in the same spot and the pin in the same spot every day. Because they think that little marker is where the course was rated from. And that's going to maintain my handicap so that when I play my friend, you know, they're not thinking about interesting golf holes as, they, as much as they are their own score and the bets that they have going on that day, which are dependent on consistency. You know, and, and really the last thing we want is consistency. You know, you, you, go, you go to Forest Dunes, stay, play the black course, sleep, you know, go to sleep at night and then play the red course the next day. That's not consistent, but it's super fun. You know, and same at LACC when number six is a long par three and then you show up one day and then you show up the next day and it's playing as a short par four. I mean, those are the types of things in routing I think that we need to uh, golf. Golf really needs. Um, you know, I think I think these short courses, these reversible course ideas, it, it, it's sort of sparked more interest in golf course architecture. I think it's made a lot of people think differently about, you know, where they want to play and how the game is played and, and, and how the game is played in the most fun way possible. One of my favorite things about golf is that the playing fields are not standardized. 
a course can have 13 par 3s like Band and Preserve, or 5 long holes like the original Leith Links in Scotland. There's no rule saying those routings don't qualify as real golf courses. But as Jeff and I discussed toward the end of our conversation, modern courses just haven't taken the invitation to be whatever they want to be. Instead, they've become more and more wedded to the championship model of 18 holes and a par between 70 and 72. I think that's gotten in the way of the best practices of golf course routing. An architect should just be focusing on how to get the most out of a piece of land, not on achieving a certain number of holes or a certain par. Those are just arbitrary restrictions that we've put on ourselves. So I wonder, and this is where I want to hear from you, what's it going to take for weird golf course routings to go mainstream? And I'm not talking about at fancy clubs or resorts, but at your local muni. What's preventing it from having seven cool holes and like a souped up driving range or something? Maybe developers are too tentative. Maybe architects are. But really, I think it has to start with our own habits and attitudes as golfers, with realizing that not every score needs to count toward our handicaps and that no matter what the routing is, no matter how many holes it has or what par it is, we can simply enjoy trying to hit good shots or maybe trying to win a match against a friend. If you want to dig deeper into the topic of golf course routing, I've put together a post for this episode on thefriedegg.com. You can also find us on Twitter at thefriedegg with underscores between each word and Jeff at Jeff underscore Mingay. Let's keep the conversation going. <laughs>